Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. We've got all sorts of stuff to do. We'll get to that in a moment. If you haven't, check us out at consumerguide.com. If you're looking for a new or used car or truck, you're going to want to check out our reviews. Please check out our 2020 Best Buys. It took a lot of time and a lot of pizza to get to that list. (laughs) You're going to want to check that out. If you're not looking for a car or truck, skip to our blog. Skip to our blog because that's where the fun stuff is, and we'll talk a little bit about the blog later in the show. Right now, let's uh, introduce my co-host, Jill Simonillo. Hello. Jill is the editor-in-chief of Auto Exotica. Yes. That is not a gentleman's site. No, it is not a gentleman's okay, site. Okay, I'm just checking. I'm just checking. Although it could be a site that guys would enjoy. There you go. <laughs> what, PG? PG rated? Absolutely PG rated. I have been to the site. It's worth checking out. <laughs> uh, have you left much of your thumbprint on the site yet? No, not yet. Um, we actually have a lot coming up with, um, you know, kind of creating a new website in addition to, you know, filling out the current one. So lots of cool stuff coming. So All right. And that's autoexotica.com? It's no. autoexoticamag.com. AutoExoticaMag.com. People should check that out. Yes. All right. Later in the show, we're going to speak with John Beal, our first ever repeat guest. John is the (laughs) editor-in-chief of The Excellent. Wait, somebody came back? Someone came back. (laughs) Sucker. (laughs) Sucker. Uh, The editor-in-chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine. It is the best old car magazine you may not know about. Also, after that, we have another car quiz, but this time not color. It's a surprise. It'll be Uh for you and John. If John can stick around to talk to us, we'll also talk about what's new at the blog. But Jill. Yes. Jill, you have news for us. Yeah, yeah. So I would have to say one of the more interesting things that has happened uh, this week is the um, introduction of... Hashtag not a concept, but actually a concept. Uh, Cruise automation autonomous taxi. (laughs) And it's um, basically, uh, I, I believe the actual press conference was on Monday, and they, they, with a lot of fanfare, introduced this thing that looks a little bit like an above-ground submarine um, with four <laughs> seats, and, um, and, and it does not have a steering wheel or pedal, and really doesn't require any uh, interaction from the passengers other than to press the button to say, we're ready to go. Yeah, there is so much here to talk about. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, and I didn't want to talk about this, and now I'm <laughs> and now I'm dying to talk about this. So I'm glad I'm glad you pressed the issue. I, I, yeah, I brought this up like three times. I'm like, no, 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 we've got to talk about this. Yeah, and and here's here's why this is big news. First of all, cruise automation for people who don't know is a spinoff, uh, wholly owned or mostly owned by General Motors. General mm-hmm. Motors bought a little autonomous vehicle startup company, put a lot of money into it. Mm-hmm. And now there's like these crazy numbers being thrown about, thrown out about the capital value of, of capitalized value of, uh, of cruise automation, like $60 billion. I don't even know how you arrive at that number. <laughs> but, but there are three big players out there right now. There's Waymo. Right. And Waymo is, is, is Google slash Alphabet. Yep. And they were going to build a car. Yep. Now they're not going to build a car. They're no. just going to license this technology to other people. Yes. They're considered to be the most advanced. Then there's cruise automation. Yes. There's General Motors spinoff. And Honda also has a play in that, too. That's just right. Just as a heads up. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They took a small stake in that. Yeah. And then there's a third company that people aren't talking about too much, Argo AI, mm-hmm. which is a Ford and Volkswagen cooperative. And I think smaller companies are taking a chunk of that. Yes. So these companies are interesting in that they're doing this autonomous thing. Mm-hmm. Seemingly, whether or not the world's ready for autonomy. Right. So there's that piece of news. And then the other piece of news is that this company, this division of General Motors, just launched a vehicle that may or may not be a concept in San Francisco. Yes. But the Chicago Auto Show is two weeks away. But anyway. Well, and by the way... CES just happened too, so that's true. They got spurned too. Yeah, so I, 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 but you know, I mean, that speaks to a whole nother issue of people doing things outside of auto show season, trying to garner their own press. Um, but I think they probably would have gotten more press if they'd done it during CES. But this vehicle, as you noted, 
no steering wheel, no, no. brakes, no, no pedals. So there's really no direct mechanical control. No. And it looks a little bit like a subway train, giant sliding doors. <laughs> yeah. And, and as you mentioned, a lot of wasted space because there's seats in there for four. Yes. But here, here's the other part of this that I think is interesting. We kind of, there's a tacit admission here that Cruise is a brand. Because mm. this mm-hmm. vehicle is the Cruise Origin. Yes. It's like they're actually using Cruise in the name. So Cruise may be the name for these autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. in the future. And one of the things that, that Dan Amen, who used to be with General Motors, is now the head of Cruise, said was that this vehicle will spend most of its time in motion. Yes. Which but, is fascinating. Yeah. Because, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, well, it's meant to be a taxi and it's all electric. And, you know, the idea is it's literally just going to be going from point A to point B to point C to point D, to, you know, all the way through all day long. Yeah. There's, there's no suggestion here that this is for private ownership. No. This Mm-mm. is this is ride hailing and taxi service and Uber and things like that. Right. Which is really interesting. The other part of that then is is that charging becomes an issue. Right. To package it like they did, there isn't an exhaust system, there isn't a gasoline Mm-mm. engine. This is an electric vehicle. Yeah. Batteries are in the floor and they're gonna do that. I don't know if people are familiar with the term skateboard. But mm-hmm. it's where you literally have an electric module that you put a body on top of. Right. And electric, uh, electric technology is really well suited for that. Right. Well, you know, and I, I think the other interesting thing here is that um, there is, n- and the reason why I'm saying this is probably more of a concept than a production vehicle, even though they're saying it's a production vehicle, they haven't released any details about right. like the, the powertrain, you know, what the battery pack is going to be, you know, what the specs are, you know, no details, nor have they given you a timeline. And, and, you know, right. kind of, um, they buried the lead a little bit because the other thing that they're doing with the launch of this vehicle is they're planning on doing a, a program in San Francisco that is a pilot program to do uh, using the Bolt EV mm-hmm. autonomous vehicles that they've created a little ride handling service with an app and that's coming soon and so they kind of buried that lead a little bit where they're going to be doing this pilot project but not with this thing that they just you know ooh and odd over and everybody did video of but you know with the bull tvs it's the i think the third generation of the bull tvs that they've been playing around with in autonomous mode and um so i i, I don't know i i it, it's interesting because everybody seems to think that autonomy is going to happen tomorrow, and I don't. So Waymo has some test vehicles in Phoenix. They have some test vehicles in California, but but we have not seen a widespread uh, testing of these vehicles in any place other than some place that's warm and doesn't have snow. So there are so many like logistical reasons why. You know, this is probably at least 10 or 15 years away from being a reality. Yeah, we can talk about this more, too, because remember, Cadillac has Super Cruise. Right. Right. That works pretty well. Yeah. It's on one car that doesn't sell well. Yes. And it's, it's <laughs> fun. Well, you know, and so, I mean, that also speaks about levels of autonomy, too, because there are basically five levels of autonomy. Yeah. And the first level, we've already started seeing cars, which is, you know, your, your very, very basic adaptive cruise control uh, and your, your basic, like, lane departure warning systems that might nudge you back into a lane. But the driver is in complete control, has to be completely paying attention. Um, then you have level two, which is kind of where Super Cruise falls, where right. the driver has to be engaged. There's actually a camera watching your eyes. Um, but there is some function where you know the vehicle can kind of take control and, and do things for you. You know, then you have like level three, which I would say is kind of like Tesla autopilot. People might argue with me on that. But um, where, again, the driver is still supposed to be paying attention, but doesn't always pay attention because the car takes over pretty much the, the entire control of the operation of the vehicle. But the driver should be paying attention to intervene. Now, level four is where it's totally vehicles, um, like the totally, um, the vehicle is in control. There is no driver intervention. So the, this, um, cruise automation project would be level four. And then, you know, level five is, you know, no, no human interaction whatsoever, not even pressing a button. It's all completely a hundred. Yeah. Basically app driven. Yeah. So So we're already seeing autonomous cars uh, ish on the road, but um, they're trying to step us into it and hopefully like get us a little bit more used to the idea before the steering wheel disappears. So the cruise origin could be the first fully autonomous vehicle uh, in production or not. (laughs)
right. I'm, I'm saying something from Waymo is going to be first, All right. well, but it's still a ways off. We'll get back to that. <laughs> Jill, like so many auto journalists, you yes. sometimes find yourself behind the wheel of a test product. I, uh, I do. Uh, provided by the manufacturer. Yes. And, and that may be the case now? Yes, it is, right. it is in fact the case now. So um, I've been driving uh, the Lexus NX this week, and it is uh, the 300F Sport model, um, and comes equipped with a 2.0 liter turbocharged engine, 235 horsepower. Base price for this vehicle is around um, $32,000. Uh, but the because it was an F Sport model, you know, the base price for the test vehicle was about $40,000. But including all the options and everything, it leveled up to just under $52,000. The NX is a really interesting vehicle. This is Lexus's compact crossover. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In in every single premium car lineup, except Lexus, this is the best-selling vehicle. The Mm -hmm. compact crossover, that's the BMW X3, Mm -hmm. that is the Mercedes GLC, um, the Volvo XC60, um, vehicles like that. And at Lexus, it's not even close. The Lexus RX, which is the midsize car, outsells it two to one. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like the NX is an ill-positioned vehicle because they launched this vehicle in 2017 and then quick on the heels of that, they launched the Lexus UX, which mm-hmm. is even smaller than the NX, but not by much. It's about five inches shorter, but, you know, the wheelbase is like one inch shorter. The width is like one inch smaller and the cargo volume difference is negligible. It, it's it's pretty much the same. So I, I feel like with the launch of the UX, they kind of negated the need for the NX. I think they cannibalized themselves a little bit. It, it, everyone's trying to squeeze something in someplace and, yeah. and to create these these new niches. And, mm-hmm. and subcompact crossover is probably something that they need to be in. But I, I think you're right. I think the launches may have been too close to each other. Yeah. And another interesting thing about the NX, I think, which I think is a fine vehicle, it doesn't blow mm-hmm. me away, Mm-mm. is that when it's loaded up, like, like the one you drove mm-hmm. is, is 52 grand here, it's getting dangerously close to RX territory. Yeah. And the thing about the, the Lexus RX, which I think is a fabulous vehicle, mm-hmm. um, it, it's also a heck of a deal mm-hmm. uh, in, in the in the midsize premium crossover market. Just mm-hmm. a screaming good deal compared to Mercedes or BMW, for example. And I think people are walking in there and they're thinking, well, for fifty grand I can get this, or for fifty-five grand right. I can get the bigger vehicle with a V6 and a bunch of other stuff. So I don't know. I, I The NX is interesting. I yeah. don't know that people know what it is. I think NX UX is a messy bit of alphabet soup. Yeah, NX UX, um, RX, GX, LX. Yeah, it's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it's a lot of Xs there. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I mean, speaking to the to the RX, the base price of that is right around $45,000. Mm-hmm. So this vehicle, equipped as it is, is more expensive than the base RX. Than the roomier, smoother yeah, and and I, you're right though. This isn't a bad vehicle. I, I think it's comfortable. The engine is nice. It works really well. Fuel economy is fairly decent as well. The in combined driving, you should get about 24 miles per gallon with the all-wheel drive model, which is what I have, and I've been averaging about 23.3. And I do a lot of city driving. I mean, like 99.9% city driving. Well, that's pretty good. Now I don't remember, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Does the F Sport get you any chassis upgrades? Ooh, I don't think so. I th- I'm I, 90. It does. Okay, here it is. It does it? Yeah, I was going to okay. say. Sport tune suspension. So how's the ride? Oh, yeah. Because I, I was going to say, I think it's mostly just appearance package. It used to be. F-Sport used to be just um, appearance stuff. The, the ride is really comfortable. So, I, I mean, living in the city of Chicago, they never take care of their roads. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say never take care of their roads in the winter, but they just don't take care of their roads. And um, so, you know, one of the main streets I drive down has a ton of potholes. And, you know, this... this handled it pretty well. I didn't feel like I was dropping into, you know, a cavernous pit, um, which I was. Um, but it was it was pretty smooth. And, you know, when you get on the highway, which unfortunately I didn't have time to do very much, um, it it really tightens up and it's it's a smooth cruiser. Yeah. The, the F Sport doesn't mean what people think it means. It's no. sportier. Yeah. And Lexus thinks it's sportier. Yeah. But it, it's never sportier to the detriment no, no. of fundamentally being a Lexus. No. Which is smooth and refined and yeah. generally nice riding. So it, anyway, uh, do, do I usually put you on the spot for a letter grade or a one to ten grade? Uh, letter grade. A letter grade, I All think. Right, I need a uh, letter grade on this NX. 
You know, I would probably give it more of a B plus. B plus. Uh, because I mean, one again, the UX. I like it. I think it's a better vehicle. The smaller car. Um, okay. Smaller car. Um, two. Uh, the interior was white seats. Hmm. And um, doing what I do, living in the city, mud and muck, and you know, city slush. Um, and that, you shovel coal part time. I do shovel coal part time, so I'm leaving fingerprints everywhere. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it just like it, it'll get really dirty really fast, and so I, I just I liked it. I. I yeah, B plus. B plus. There you go. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to John Beal. John is the editor in chief of Collectible Automobile Magazine. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide. You can follow me, you should follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That's car underscore guy underscore guy on Twitter. If you spot a cool old car on the street, take a picture and use the, the car spotter hashtag. That's hashtag car spotter, all one word, and I will see that and I will share that. All right, we are here with John Beal. John is the editor-in-chief of the best old car magazine that you may not know about, and that's Collectible Automobile. John is also our first repeat guest. John, thanks for coming back. <laughs> thanks, Tom. Nice to be here. Joel, nice to see you again. Good to see you. John, you put together this little magazine. <laughs> <laughs> It seems small. Does this take a lot of your time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stay busy. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the magazine. Uh, the magazine is uh, 30, we've completed 36 years. Uh, wow. The issue that's out right now, our April 2020, is the end of 36 years. And uh, Congratulations. They haven't stopped us yet. And uh, 96 pages, six times a year, um, glossy paper. Great pictures, uh, great in-depth writing from guys who've written for us for a long time and uh, very, in very many cases. And a couple of fun features. Uh, we have our own car spotter section. Uh, we've had that forever. Which and is excellent this month. We, we should talk about that later on. Oh, you. There's some great stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, people find some interesting stuff all over the place. And uh, in U.S., Canada, foreign countries. Uh, you may be surprised how many American cars turn up in, in Europe and Asia, and people find them and send us pictures of them. Now, people can subscribe to this. They can go to uh, collectibleautomobile.com and subscribe. Uh, you can also pick it up at newsstands most bookstores. Some, yes. They're leading bookstores. Yeah, this is a... Uh, actually, Father's Day is not that crazy far away. No. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> no. no. My, my dad reads this. My dad's a fan. I've got some friends that subscribe. Um, mostly because you're too cheap to give me comp copies. And, and, <laughs> but that's okay. It's a small magazine. I understand. So I should covet this issue that mm -hmm. I have in my yeah, hands, right? Yeah. That free issue. <laughs> Those don't grow on trees. So hey, the Tom, I could get you some. I know a guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the April issue is on newsstands now. It is just about right about now. Tell us what's in this issue. Uh, well, we have a, a, a feature story on the uh, uh, on the 1971 to 78 Cadillac Eldorados. Uh, we also have another feature on the, the Ford Victoria, a cute little coupe uh, that was made. This is not the, the Crown Victoria that you're thinking of. Uh, that was a, there were police cars <laughs> in the 80s. Uh, these were from the 30s. Uh, the uh, covered this Model A and the early V8 era. Uh, we've also got an interesting story on a car that uh, people. Really, kind of in the know, would, would uh, and you got to be a little bit of an old timer, we think. Uh, the Railton, which was a British car that was built on Hudson mechanicals, uh, Hudson chassis, Hudson engines, uh, and they made uh, quite a bit of a sports car out of it. Uh, Reed Railton, who was famous for building uh, land speed record cars in the 30s, lent his name to it. He was actually wasn't involved in the engineering, but oh. he was he was um, uh, the, the the guy who put it together, a guy named Noel Macklin. Um, uh, sort of a landed gentry type, he actually convinced uh, uh, Reed Railton to put his name on it and because it gave the car some currency in the, in the uh, performance uh, market of the day. And we've also got a fun uh, photo kind of caption feature, feature uh, summary of uh, the convertibles of 1959, the domestic, the American convertibles of 1959. 
59 is, is and I don't know nearly as much about old cars as I should, but 59 is one of those great years because things were happening in the car world in a big, big way, design-wise. And, and the headlights, like of General Motors products, were moving down into the grills. Right. And cars were getting lower, and the Chrysler products weren't really doing that yet, and, and the GMs really were. And you could see this transition into the 60s. It's a really fascinating just to look at all these cars lined up side by side by side. Well, actually, the, the GMs, the 59 GMs, were a, a reaction to the uh, to the 57 uh, Chrysler products that were starting they were beginning to to, to create that that uh, you know is what they was what was known as it was like the second generation of the the forward look right uh, and they were beginning to lower the belt lines lower roof lines uh, big uh, tail fins um, that you know in some cases are very sometimes we think tail fins can be gaudy but they're actually very on, on those those Chrysler products they're very organic uh, they really kind of grow out of the bodies a little bit. They don't look so much like they're like they're tacked on or afterthought kind of things. But um, General Motors designers got an early look at the '57 um, uh, products for uh, Chrysler. Were anticipating well if if that's what they look like now, what are they going to look like in two years? Because at this point, at the time they saw them, they were designing their own '59 cars. Right. And they said, you know, we have to go back and. Um, we have to rethink what we're doing, and they very quickly. And it's a very famous uh, thing. They very quickly uh, tore up what they were doing, what they were, thought they were going to do for 1959, and and changed to sort of adapt to what that to that coming look was. And they did it very well, and and uh, you know, kind of regain eventually, you know, re, kind of regain their styling leadership and push the, the those themes forward. That kind of became what we think of as the you know, kind of the modern. Car architecture, uh, or at least what was the modern car architecture for a very long time. Now, those those Chrysler, um, was it Plymouth, the, the forward look? Was that the genesis of the of the um, suddenly it's 1960 ad campaign? Yeah, yeah, the 57 <laughs> Plymouth. Yeah, those are some of the best ads I think in automotive history. And there's all those those full line Chrysler ads with with Chrysler Plymouth Dodge DeSoto mm -hmm. um, and Imperial, where all the cars are in the ads. Right. I think yeah. for 57, 58, and 59, I think. Uh, yeah, they. It, it was very common in those years. People would. Uh, General Motors did some cross at you know some uh, cross brand advertising in the 50s. Uh, you can find some Ford. Uh, some Ford ads uh, where they they would you know lay out their entire uh, product line from from Ford through Edsel through Mercury through Lincoln. Um, so um, you, know, you you that was kind of done in those days. Yeah. So going through this issue, uh, my favorite article here, and I'm so glad you did this, and I'm so glad I read it, is the Eldorado piece. Oh, because okay. this is a fascinating piece. It, this is this is a car. That's you would think should have been doomed from the start. It is. It is gigantic. It's one of the biggest Cadillacs yeah. in the modern era. It's got a 500 cubic inch engine. It's one of the biggest engines. It's the heaviest. It was. A, it was a convertible at a time where people were starting to shug convertibles. And yet this car was actually surprisingly successful. For, for it was the first year of, the, of this particular generation. This was the second of the um, of the front wheel drive uh, generations of, of Eldorados. The first was 1967 through 70. This was the the first sort of redo of that concept of the front of the front wheel drive car. There was a um, in the fall of 1970. There was a 67 day strike against General Motors when they mm -hmm. lost production. They still made enough 71 um, Eldorados that it was their best selling. It, it did the be it did better than any of the 67 <laughs> to 70, and they were and things only got better. They by yeah. 1973 they had 51. They made 51,000 of them, which was the record for all that Eldorado, and it stood for about six years until the uh, the 79 the, the downsized 79s came out, and those were even more popular. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this car, and it, it went through such a weird period. 71 to 78 <laughs> literally takes you from a period of, of excess to a period of, of almost insane downsizing. Yeah. And I, you, go I, ahead. I was going to say, I feel like it shrunk like two feet it was, from um, the beginning to the end. Yeah, it was. It was. It lost about a thousand pounds, and uh, uh, twenty inches it got yeah. taken out of that. Uh, you know, and, and that's half of me. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm not really that short, but close. Yeah, if you could see Jill, you'd realize how much shorter a, a, a 79 Eldorado is. Yeah, they, but but it still had presence that that uh, uh, that 1979 to 85 generation car, and it, it those were the best selling Eldorados ever. Um, 
but uh, the groundwork was was sort of laid in this period of you know, this kind of rising period. It comes from the '70s when there was a um, the the personal luxury class was coming up in, in a big way. This was uh, coming up on the heels of the, the sort of the end of the muscle car era from the '60s and up to about 1970 or '71. And so people were looking for like, okay, what's the next best? You know, what's the next big thing? What's what's the next cool car we can have? And people moved into this sort of like there was a big market now for this plush luxury uh, feel. It would seem odd now to the modern consumer to think that these a, these cars were this huge. They only had two doors, mm-hmm. right? And yet they were wildly, wildly popular. And two each door was Joe length. Yeah, yeah. yeah the doors might <laughs> have been that's, that's yeah. true. The They're probably five been, feet long, yeah. right? Well, I've plenty of room for people to scoot into the back seat. Yes, actually. So here's here's a question I've never asked this question before. Uh, so why front-wheel drive? It certainly wasn't for space efficiency or fuel economy or traction, yeah. I don't think. Uh, uh, traction to some extent. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the Eldorado uh, was based off the uh, same uh, uh, platform as the, uh, the old Tornado, which came out as a front-drive car in 1966 and was the first U.S. front-drive car since the, 19, the cord, 1937 Cords. Um, and uh, it, was, it certainly gave... Oldsmobile and then Cadillac right on its heels, uh, a, a technical and an engineering talking point. But it did have uh, it, they, these were cars that were fairly well regarded in their time for um, for traction. Um, so that that there was a a, a functional uh, element. But yes, they were packaged very differently. They were north. The engines were north south. They had a very distinctive. Uh, a transmission and drive line. The drive line basically kind of curved around alongside the uh, 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 the engine, uh, which is completely different from the power packaging of the transverse front-wheel drive engines that so many of us have today. Right. Weird. So the other thing this car was, briefly, was the last convertible sold in America. It was the last American convertible, they thought, at the time. Uh, <laughs> and... Um, they were able to use a... Or last uh, American convertible sold in America. Right, right, yeah, right. because Mercedes right. never stopped. Right, yeah, yeah. But it was the last American-built convertible, so they thought, and that lasted just a few years. And it, the, the weird irony is it not only was it not the last convertible, and it wasn't even the last Eldorado convertible when it was all said and done, because the Eldorado, I tried saying that three times fast, the Eldorado came back with a with on that shortened platform from the 80s for two years they had a, a for 84 and 85 they had a, a, a Lorado convertible again but there was a lot made I can remember being a younger man um, and uh, the you know the hubbub around the uh, the uh, around the last well people every thought wow this is amazing and yeah nobody was you know they weren't flocking to buy them uh, convertibles but in that time but uh, nobody wanted to see them go but nobody wanted to buy them it seemed like um, but they made about 14,000 of them, which was a um, uh, 14,000 of these Eldorado, the last 76s. The last 200 were very famous uh, uh, for being done. They were white with red interiors and blue and, and uh, red blue and red striping, pinstriping, because don't forget, this was 1976 and the U.S. <laughs> Bicentennial, and everything was red, white, and blue to some extent, <laughs> including huge Cadillacs. So, uh, so the last two hundred uh, that they ran off were in this uh, in this bicentennial um, scheme of the last of the two thousand. Yeah. So this is a great article. It, it, it's long. It's filled with details. Um, your author Terry Boyce did a really nice job with this. He's an excellent author. He yeah. Uh, three presidents, this. right? This is your this is your Nixon, Ford, Carter car. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, another feature you guys do that I love is uh, the Cheap Wheels and Future Collectible. And your Cheap Wheels is absolutely Tom approved, which is the Infinity Q45. Mm-hmm. What a great car. Uh, and this is a great little summary of that car. For people who don't remember, this was the first V8 Infinity. And and it was strange because Lexus did so well with the first LS back in whatever year that was. Was that 88, 89? 90. 90. Yeah, it came out in 89. It was a 90 model. And Lexus was being compared to Mercedes, and it was an incredible value, and it got all sorts of media. And people kind of ignored this slightly avant-garde-looking Infiniti Q45, and maybe because it didn't have a grill, maybe because Infiniti advertising was strange as heck and, and featured plants and rocks and not cars. Yes. But whatever it was, this car did not get its due. And there was a lot going on here. It was it was a large fuel injected V8. It was fast. It was luxurious. Plus, it it had uh, four wheel steering, which right. was pretty cool. Right. So, yeah. But I love this feature. Um, 
we're about out of time here. Tell us a little bit about the magazine. Where can we get it? And uh, Well, you can order it uh, through us at uh, collectibleautomobile.com. And as Tom mentioned, uh, you can find it at uh, bookstores, uh, certain bookstores, certain newsstands. Uh, we carry it all over the place. But, uh, yeah, um, it's uh, a lot of fun doing it and uh, a lot of fun being with you, too. Yeah, now, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you think this would make a good gift for, like, a Father's Day gift? <laughs> I think if someone you know is interested in uh, old cars uh, and even a little bit of the new ones, because they pointed out we've got the cheap wheels and we've got our future collectibles, too. Um, yeah, we've. Uh, I think it would be uh, the ideal thing, but I might be biased. <laughs> you might. A little well, bit. And you're, you're also on Twitter, though, yeah? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, we've got... Um, Tom, help me out. <laughs> <laughs> the CA well, Twitter handle... Uh, is Collectible Automobile. Collectible Automobile. Yeah. There we go. So tw- yeah. yeah, and then, John, you're on Twitter as well. Yeah. Uh, JB old John at... Uh, yeah. Cool. John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank uh, you. If you can, stick around for the rest of the show. Okay. Will do. All right. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. I'm here with Jill Simonello. Yes. And John Beale has has elected uh, against his uh, the advice of counsel to stick around <laughs> and join us for the rest of the show. Jill, how can the how can the folks find you in social media? Uh, a couple ways. So searching for Just me. One. No, All right, two's fine. I'm going to okay, give you go. three. Um, <laughs> I know. You ask me a question, I give you a long answer. Um, oh. So Jill Simonello, um, I'm at Jill Simonello on Twitter and Instagram um, at C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O, jingle forthcoming. Uh, but hashtag car du jour might be easier to find. All and right. then um, my new publication, um, you can look, uh, especially on Twitter, at AutoXOfficial, um, on Instagram at AutoExoticaOfficial. See, that sounds gentleman's clubby again. Well, you know, a funny story. Um, <laughs> Facebook would not let us do See? Auto Exotica as our um, URL. So that's why we went to Auto X official, um, because they wouldn't let Exotica be on. Auto X actually sounds more tawdry. Okay. <laughs> Apparently not to Facebook. Right. Uh, but yeah, Auto X or Auto Exotica official. Okay, so the gentleman will like that stuff. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Lots of cool, exotic cars. Oh, oh my bad. Cars. All right. All right. We've been doing a quiz at this point in the show for several weeks now uh, with mixed results. And we did the color quiz last week. And I think Damon kicked your butt. Oh, yeah. But this time we're going to do the Car Stuff Power Quiz. It is 2019 sales. Yes. Uh, Jill's face is priceless. Yeah. But the questions are self-explanatory. <laughs> These, the numbers are all from uh, um, Automotive News. Thank okay. you, Crane Publications. Yes. All these numbers come from there. I believe they're fairly uh, fairly accurate. I have five questions for you guys. Uh, the person with the most points wins an autographed copy of the quiz. <laughs> well. So I'm already going to dub John the winner. I wouldn't. I wouldn't jump ahead. <laughs> these are not easy. Maybe I'm going to throw it on purpose. Is the the hashtag uh, there? <laughs> here, here's the first question. You can decide how hard All this right. is. I need you to rank the following three brands in order of their total 2019 U.S. sales. The brands are Jeep, Ram, and Hyundai. I'll say Hyundai, Jeep, Ram. You said Hyundai, Jeep, Ram. Mm-hmm. All right. Hyundai, hey, no Jeep. cheating, John. You can't look over his shoulder at that. Uh, I will say <laughs> Jeep Hyundai Ram. And you said Jeep Hyundai Ram. Neither one of you gets a point. <laughs> oh. For 2019, Jeep sold 923,000 vehicles, Ram sold 703,000 vehicles, and Hyundai seven, or 689,000 vehicles. Oh. So there you go. No points. Moving on to question number two. All right. This one's trickier. Woohoo. Questions get harder as we move along. Oh, yay. <laughs> Which sold better in 2019, the topical Lexus NX or the entire Jaguar lineup? <laughs> oh. I'm going to go with the entire Jaguar lineup. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to agree with that. No. <laughs> 
Well, we take back everything we said about the NX. Then. No, really? the, the, the Lexus NX uh, racked up 59,000 sales last year. Okay. The entire Jaguar lineup, 31,000. Ooh, mm. ouch. It is kind of an ouch. That is really an ouch. Yeah, and, and you know my theory on this is that Jaguar styling isn't very Jaguar anymore. And someone intending to buy a Jaguar goes into the Jaguar dealership and then sees the Land Rover Range Rover products, which are really good looking right now. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, I'm going to go to that side of the showroom. Yeah. I sort of think that's what's happening. <laughs> All right. Which sold better in 2019? The Nissan Leaf or the Chevrolet Bolt EV? So I want to say the Nissan Leaf. So that means I'm going to go with my opposite and say Bolt. <laughs> I'm going to say Leaf. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before we go forward, uh -huh. you've locked in your answers. Yes. Um, who said, did either of you say Jaguar or uh, Lexus? No. Okay, so no points yet. Yeah, no points. All right, so round to the points now. Yeah, so now one of us will get a point because we did not say the okay. same thing. Okay, so the score is 0-0. Zero, zero. Yeah. Who said Bolt? You said Leaf? I said Leaf. The answer is Bolt. What? See, uh, I went with my opposite. <laughs> despite losing the federal tax credit... Uh, Chevy came up with 16,000 sales uh, and Nissan with 12,000. And the thing about that is if you go and build a Bolt EV on the Chevy website, you'll see that they are discounting it pretty much to the amount of the old federal tax credit. Interesting. Because I'm like, I'm thinking, I've driven both of these vehicles and um, thinking about like the technology and overall looks of the vehicles, I like the Leaf better. Yeah, you get the better range with the Bolt. Yeah. It's also kind of spunky. It's upright. Kind but, of fun but to the drive. Leaf Plus now has, um, I, I want to say, Bolt-like range um, with the, the I, 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 I feel like they, they're neck and neck now. Yeah, isn't the, the Leafs at like 224 and the Bolt's at 260? I thought Bolt was 238. No, it went up. Okay. It's 254 or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah. It but, went up for... 19, I believe. Okay. Yeah. No, I, and I haven't driven either of these vehicles for 2019, I will say. The Bolt I drove like two or three years ago. Um, but, but I like, I like the styling on the, on the Leaf. I like the, the technology it has. Um, speaking of autonomy, which we were doing earlier, it has, uh, the, oh gosh, and I can't even remember the name of it right now, but they have Pro their, Pilot? yeah, ProPilot is on there. So they have their version of their little, Autonomous-ish yeah. system. To, to whatever extent that's autonomous, it's yeah. nice. But it's nice in traffic. Yeah. It's Very really nice. nice in traffic. All right. So, all so right. there you go. So who's got one point? Not with me. Jill, I was going to say Jill not me, but point. it's me. It's you. All right. <laughs> the point. One point with two questions to go. All right. Question number four. Which sold better in 2019? The completely electric Audi e-tron or the completely electric Jaguar I-Pace? E-tron. I'll say I-Pace. Wow, Jill has got two points. <laughs> I wanted to say I-Pace. Yeah, my trick is I'm now going with my opposite. <laughs> yeah, Jaguar can't give away the I-Pace. I don't know why. Which is also unfortunate because another vehicle I really like. Yeah, and it's fun to drive. It is. It's, I, I actually drove it on a racetrack right next to, like, back-to-back -back with their, um, their F-Type. And the... It actually didn't do badly. Like, it was an interesting comparison. Now, the e-tron is, is really a compact crossover. Yep. So it's roughly F-Pace. I'm sorry. I-Pace, I'm sorry, is... Yeah, they're both really compact crossovers. Now, the e-tron is Audi's first all-electric mm -hmm. vehicle in the U.S. Uh, 5400 for that. I-Pace, 2600 Neither of these vehicles is setting the world on fire sales-wise. No. Well, I, you know, I think there's just still some reluctance for people to buy electric because of charging and you know there's just range anxiety still the 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 interesting thing to see is is how well the porsche taycan sells oh, there's yeah. supposed to be a whole bunch of hand raisers yeah so we'll see but the numbers have been disappointing right you have mm -hmm. they're either incredibly expensive mm -hmm. or the range is a little disappointing right i think what is it they they, they launched the taycan turbo and turbo s which are over one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, and then the cars closer to a hundred grand have what is it about two hundred miles of range? Yeah, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. On the other hand, they're supposed to be wonderful. Yeah. I need to drive one. <laughs> All right, John. This is just so that you can score a point okay. because uh, you're losing to a girl here. Uh, hey. Um. Sorry. That was your out loud voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did I say that? Worse yet, you're losing to Jill. <laughs> also, your out loud voice. Yeah. All right. 
Ready, rank the following mid-size crossovers in order of total 2019 U.S. sales. Are you ready? Okay. GMC Acadia, mm-hmm. Subaru Ascent, Volkswagen Atlas. I will say Acadia Atlas Ascent. I'll say Atlas Ascent Acadia. No one gets a point, but John is closest. <laughs> Acadia came in with 99,000 sales. Okay. The Ascent at 82,000 sales. The Atlas at 82,000 sales. It's like they're really close. The, As- the Ascent slightly outsold the Atlas. Wow. <laughs> so those are both brand new three-row crossovers, and mm-hmm. they're doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. 80 grand is some pretty big business, because those are not exactly uh, cheap vehicles. And they all start with an A. They do. Oh. That was an accident. <laughs> Which starts with an A. Wow. Wow, I played for the alliteration by accident. So, Jill, I'm signing this for you now. Oh, dang it. There you go. <laughs> I will frame it and Someday keep it forever. I'll have one of those. John, here's your copy. I'm not signing <laughs> it. I'm not signing it. No. You get nothing, sir. All right. Because Damon is not here, I have to do the grunt work of talking about what's new at the CG Daily Drive blog, Uh, which I will do very quickly. Uh, We have a review up this week of the 2020 Outback. mm -hmm. That's the Subaru Outback, the first ever little crossover-y wagon that somehow defined a segment. We drive the redesigned 2020 in Onyx Edition XT. Uh, The Onyx is interesting because that is sort of a mid-trim level. Mm -hmm. That is the least expensive that... Uh, versions of the uh, Outback you can get with the turbocharged engine, mm-hmm. the new 2.4 liter turbo, and because it's Onyx, it comes with black wheels. Okay, and some of the black badging, too. Yeah, that is a yeah. very silly reason to call something Onyx, but it looks pretty cool. And I feel like there's some interior treatments, too, that are a little bit different, like some Maybe. piping or something. Yeah, the, the upholstery, too. I think they yeah. kind of go down from, I think it's a, they have some kind of uh, simulated leather or something, uh, upholstery, and yeah. so it's a little more of a heavier wearing uh, interior. But and it's you smart get looking. Onyx floor mats. Onyx. So that's kind of cool. And what color is Onyx? Well, the car is white. <laughs> but but Onyx itself is black. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. But black edition. Maybe people don't know that. I don't know. Onyx sounds more like a semi-precious stone. It does. Yeah. Our next article is, Is My Car Spying on Me? with Jill, you happened to write. <laughs> I did write it. Jill was a guest editor, this t- guest contributor to the blog. She wrote this piece. Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Yeah, basically, uh, your car is spying on you. Um, there, there's a lot of uh, things that you don't think about when you're in a car. And mostly when it's your car, it's probably okay to plug your, your phone in via USB port or to pair it via, via Bluetooth and, and things like that. Where you really need to start being concerned is in rental cars or, you know, um, at Uber a lift um, because those USB ports that you are plugging your into are meant to collect data. So it's basically like you've just shaken hands with this car and you leave something behind. And, um, you know, most of it is pretty innocent, but somebody who would like to be a little bit nefarious can can hack your phone and do a whole bunch of bad damage uh, to to things like that. And not to mention the fact that Bluetooth itself is inherently hackable. And so with the onslaught of um, like using your phone as a key and all of the things that are involved with doing um, activities to your car from your phone apps, uh, there's a lot of inherent dangers there. And, you know, I mean, automakers will say everything is really encrypted and you're totally fine, but it's just good to be aware of what your privacy settings are and, and what you might be putting out into the world uh, via your car. Yeah, it's so a nice... Does, oh, uh, does it help if you wear a, a wig and dark glasses? Does that throw, it off, throw <laughs> off the car if you... Uh... The only thing that is truly helpful is an aluminum foil hat. Okay, all right. Good, I brought right. mine today. Yes, good. So basically using <laughs> the USB port in someone else's car is like throwing away canceled checks at a bus station. Or like borrowing somebody's underwear. I think that was the analogy um, I made in, in well, the we'll article. Well, never do that. I, I wouldn't do it, but, you know, to each their own. I have stories about my youth I'm not going to share now. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, it's a great piece, Jill. Thanks for sharing it with us. Uh, we also have our review of the 2020 Yaris XLE. This is the sedan. Mm. For people who don't know about the Yaris XLE, it's actually a Mazda. Yes. Sold by Toyota too. in the U.S. It is a Mazda built in Mexico, sold as a Toyota. <laughs> um, it's multinational. It's also a really good little car. But ugly. See, a good mileage. It is weird looking. It's, it's weird because Toyota's trying to do something with the front end of that that looks Toyota, but it looks like a Mazda and Mazda front ends are weird looking. Yeah. No, Mazda front ends are not weird looking, but the Yaris looks like a gaping fish. Yeah. 
So check out this this <laughs> this likable gaping fish on our blog. All right. Finally, we have an article. What is Gili and what are they buying now? This is a telling little story because Gili is the company that recently, a few years ago, bought Volvo mm-hmm. and sank a lot of money into Volvo and really turned Volvo around. Yes. So much so that Volvo now has manufacturing in the U.S. Is that mm-hmm. South Carolina, I think? where they have a factory. So Volvo is just one of the companies that Geely's been buying, and that's why I wrote this piece. Uh, Geely rather stunned the world recently when it took a 10% stake in Daimler. Hmm. Geely and the Saudi government now each have a 10% stake in the company that makes Mercedes-Benz cars. (laughs) Uh, Geely was also sniffing around Aston Martin, Mm -hmm. wants a piece of that. It also owns Lotus and Proton and a couple of other companies. So... This company that you've never heard of, yeah, slowly taking over the world. <laughs> so that's how you slowly take over the world is because nobody's ever heard of you, right? Yeah, you just do it on the sly. Mm-hmm. You buy Volvo. Who cares? It's a Swedish company. But then uh, uh, you sneak up on the German company. Mm-hmm. It gets weird. So that's what's going on <laughs> at the blog. You can visit our blog by going to consumerguide.com. Right there at the top, there's a tab that says blog. That's how you get there. That's pretty intuitive. Also, if you want to drop us a note, you can do that there, too. (laughs) All right. We have a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to ask you, uh, and I already know where Jill's going with this. We're going to talk about recent developments, recent features in cars that we do not like. Jill, just get it off your chest. You just gave me a platform for a small rant. Um, I'll try to keep it short. You have 45 seconds. Auto stop start engine. All right. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. And what I especially hate is when you can't turn it off. Like most automakers give you a button that you can press and turn it off and then you don't have to deal with it. Explain what this is. Um, Yeah. So if someone hasn't bought a car in five years, they probably haven't encountered this. That's that's true. So um, auto stop start engine is basically when you come to a complete stop, your engine shuts off. What this does is sometimes it locks your wheel, sometimes, nah, all the time it turns off your HVAC, so if your heat's on, it mutes it. If your air conditioning is on on a really hot day, you just get a fan vent. Um, and then when you put your foot back on the gas pedal, it's like one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Oh, I'm supposed to turn back on now. And living in Chicago, when you need to make quick turns into traffic, um, I have almost gotten hit a couple of times, um, and and so I, I hate this feature. I turn it off every time. Uh, and then there's automakers like General Motors who do not let you turn it off. They just force you to use the auto stop start, and it is incredibly irksome. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna give the I don't hate it, <laughs> the I don't hate it take on. So it's the guy start. who does not live in the city. No, 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 that's true. But I commute. I commute on Northwest Highway between Morton Grove and okay. Palatine, which if you live in Chicago, you know is a hellish. A hellish trek uh, filled with parallel and stop and start. So stop start started showing up first on, on hybrids, mm-hmm. and we probably saw it first on, on the Toyota Prius. But and, see, I and, don't even call that stop start. Well, but, but stop start worked better on hybrids. Yes, because or, you have you have electric motivation that gets you rolling until the engine kicks in. Doesn't turn off your air conditioning. Well, no, and that's a thing, and not all cars do that. And what we're going to see now is this move to mild hybrids where that stuff's going to be run by the mild hybrid battery and it won't shut off. But I agree with you that there were early versions. And I remember the first BMW stop-start system I used. As you mentioned, the steering, which is almost always electrically driven now. Mm -hmm. Steering's not hydraulic. Uh, would sometimes lock up until the engine kicked in. Mm -hmm. Incredibly frustrating. Mm -hmm. But, But I think that, yes, I think it would be nice to turn it off in heavy traffic. But, but I think that what it's doing for fuel economy is a good thing. And no matter what we do to complain about it, it's just going to happen. I know. <laughs> well, so I, I want to say one of the more interesting iterations of Stop Start um, I saw recently was on Subaru, and it was on the, the brand new Legacy. Uh-huh. And, and what they did is if you leave this feature on, there's a little um, icon at the top of the, between the speedometer and tachometer gauge, yeah. uh, so the behind the wheel gauge, where it tells you how much fuel you're saving. And I think that is pure brilliance. That makes me hate it a little bit less. And see, that would make me leave it on is to say, okay, I actually saved four gallons of gas this time. And, 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 but most automakers, again, don't do that. So, so to be clear, you're prepared to make a philosophical about face for a little eye candy. Well, for a practical <laughs> application of showing me what I, I'm actually getting out of this. Yeah, because that is cool. That I is get very really cool. frustrated, but if I'm seeing what I'm getting out of it, like it lessens the frustration. I but agree. I, 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 I hate this feature. I hate All it. All right, John, we're looking for some passion <laughs> about something you love or hate. <laughs> 
Oh, you didn't give me the option of saying something that I love. Oh, let's but... go with hate then. Okay. <laughs> let's just keep, well, this, let's keep this as negative as possible. There's well. nothing I hate more than, and I think Tom knows where I'm going with this one. Is getting into a car after Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if it's a car that Tom just got out of that has one of the remote, uh, the compl- highly overly complicated, overthought infotainment systems. Mm-hmm. Where I, there used to be people who couldn't drive could work a car radio. Mm-hmm. Now people, I think, who were Formula One drivers can't work car radios. Yeah, they're just this, this idea that if something's a, you know there's a there's a touchpad in the console or a, some sort of knob that you're mm-hmm. turning, clicking, tapping, rotating, and you're, you, there's a screen that you can't. It, it's not a touch screen. It's just a display screen for what you're doing remotely. Menu. Yeah, it's like. Where where's the tripodometer hiding? And I just want to reset the tripodometer. I you know I have to find the vehicle settings, and then I have to go you know then which ones do I want? Do I want mileage things? Do I want instant mileage? You know, so you're four or five menus in before you find the thing, and then you're not quite. You think well, I should just tap this, and that's going to click. No, that's not quite it either. You've got to have done something else. I just want to beat those things with my fists, and and um, so I, I like a car that's you know. Give me a touch screen. I can tap what I want. I can set the the radio presets that I want. I can call up the, if I want, you know, the the um, uh, navigation system. I had, a, you know, there's a, there's a button for nav, and I get nav right away. But but trying to do it, and and then trying to drive, concentrate on driving and working, and you got your right hand fiddling with some system that you want to try to do something with right now. I hate those things. I just absolutely. We hate are them. being dragged, <laughs> kicking and screaming. If you're our age, you're being dragged kicking and screaming. Ugh. If you're younger, you're probably embracing this in, into the voice control age. We should really be using Apple CarPlay or Android Auto mm-hmm. because we're in the hands-free era now, and we shouldn't yeah. be touching that stuff that much anyway. But you're right. There are some functionalities. like, and, and Luckily, if you buy a car, you probably use the Bluetooth connectivity once or twice uh, you know, once or twice while you own the vehicle. Right. Because it's a huge pain in the butt to try to find that. And, but my thing, and we're out of time here, my thing is, is I want a tuning knob. More than anything oh, in the yes. world. Oh, it almost relates and, to my problem. In addition problem. to a yeah. volume knob. You can't have just one no, or the other. No, you need no. them both. I, I need a tune knob because I like satellite radio. Yeah. And I go between things like seven, the 70s on 7 up to like the political stations, which are in the hundreds. And the trip there, if you're pressing a button, will leave you arthritic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, the OEM argument for that is an owner will come in and set it up, and then you just hit your favorites. Yep. Yeah, and you should really be getting a rundown of how all that stuff works at the dealer when you get to take delivery of the car, too. We are flat out of time. John Beal of Collectible Automobile Magazine, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for being our first ever second-time guest. Jill Simonillo. Thank you for trusting me to be your second guest. <laughs> Jill, Jill Simonillo of the provocatively named Auto Exotica Magazine. <laughs> yes. Thank you for being here. Producer Paul, thank you as always. Thanks to the good folks here at WCPT AMA 20. Thanks to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. Uh, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Go to ConsumerGuide.com to find back episodes. We'll talk to you next week.